Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about a uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. It woke me up from my sleep and I don't like it. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to this show. This show is being recorded for November 24th, 2023 in America, the day after Thanksgiving. Mm. Leftovers, turkey, football, you know, all that, all that bullshit. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you're probably not hearing this on the day because you're probably out, uh, I don't know, in a parking lot in a mall stuck in unmoving traffic. But first, the business <laughs> before we go any further. That's a long mount. Maybe there will be a long mount and a long dismount. First, the business. The show is not kid safe, not work safe, Creative Commons licensed, non commercial attribution 4.0, unported. Theme music is by the late great band, The Gentle Readers. Bandwidth is via Cashfly under the kind umbrella of Backbeat Media. I do not speak from my day job, and I'm not even going to have that day job very long. So we're almost free of each other. Now, let's get to a song. I'm going to play a song by a band called The Palace. Um, there was a Pride event in Myrtle Beach, and they were um, they were the band of this event. And uh, I liked them. Um, one of the things about them is they reminded me a lot of bands I saw in Atlanta in the 80s. So these kind of, uh, they'd be like multiracial bands that had a lot of um, funk, soul, R&B, um, but also like Southern rock uh, influence. And so uh, I, I kind of, it's kind of like a pleasing jumble of styles to me and influences to me. So um, we're going to play a song. Their album is called Rainbow Shades, and this song is called Ready for the Storm. Because I saw that the path was blocked What's it do you give these broken wings, these 
swings become my rock. The final hour has arrived. Tick tock, tick tock. No more debating the scraping, the aching, the waiting for what is mine. You can have the land, these all these dreams, and take back the sunken night. Lightning is striking, and I feel just right. Ready for the storm. was Ready for the Storm by The Palace from their album Rainbow Shades. One of the things I like the best about that song, or the best about the band really, and the whole album is one of the two guitar players is not in the same band as everybody else. I love that. When you get a band, you know, like six people up there, one of them is clearly just not, they're just playing a whole different thing. I always kind of, uh, I always get a, kind of a kick out of that. Alright. <laughs> so, uh, let me go from hilarity to non-hilarity uh, there. Um, at the time of the recording of the last show, um, all the issues in Israel had not happened with the Hamas attack and the Israeli counterattack and, uh, you know, that uh, awful situation. So, again, let me acknowledge it's we- this is for me on this show. It is weird to talk about it and it's weird to not talk about it. And I am acknowledging that I know that it's happening and I'm not ignoring it. At the same time, I don't have much to say about it. Not only am I not a poli-sci type person, I am particularly ignorant of the issues of that region. As a unstudied, ignorant, very distant observer, here's all I know about the thing. Like all every opinion I have rolled up in one. I have no t- hot takes on the current situation. I will say that I think like Israel going in there and uh, basically kicking the Palestinians out in 19, whenever it was 48 uh, and everything that's happened since uh, is awful, right? Uh, like what Israel in general has done to the Palestinians is awful. And yet the Palestinians as a, a whole and Hamas in specific have managed to, uh, you should have sympathy for them. And they managed to comport themselves in such a way that they're always 
you can't you don't want to be on their side, even though you should be on their side. So it is a mess. And quite often I think the uh, you know, screw both of these uh it's screw everybody and they're both wrong and all this kind of stuff, which people say about everything nowadays. It's generally kind of a lazy way to approach it when you say, Oh, you know, Democrats and Republicans are the same, they're all awful. I don't know that I have a different take. I mean, I think everyone there is cruel and inhumane to everybody else. Uh, and I don't know. I, I just don't know what the solution could possibly be. Um, like every solution that's ever been proposed, even when they get really kind of close, it seems like everybody's resistant to it. So here's where my heart goes out to is the innocence and the people who are just trying to live their little lives uh, who are uh, hurt or killed in this, the children that get killed, these are always the people who take it in the neck. The the political movers and the people firing the guns, those people always seem to come out all right. And the people, uh, you know, the ordinary people seem to always uh, just, they're the, ones who, they're the ones who die and they're the ones who get it the worst. So anyway, that's I will acknowledge that that's there. That's really all I have to say about it. When I was a undergraduate at Georgia Tech, we were in this situation. Um, although my wife started a year after me, we were graduating at about exactly the same time. So we got married in uh, between um, the uh, winter and spring terms in uh, the, you know our last year there. So we go through spring term, we're married, we go through the summer term, we're married, and we took a little bit of classes. It comes down to the fall term. And she needs something like 19 credit hours, and I need something like 20. Or maybe she needs 20, and I need 21. And average load at the time on the quarter system was like 16. You know, it's like a 12 to 16 is like a normal load. And 23 is the absolute maximum you can register for. And we need like 20-ish to graduate, which would have been like two chill terms, two chill quarters, and then graduate in the spring. And my wife had just had enough. And she said, I'm not, I can't make it to the spring. I got to graduate this quarter or never. Now, it seems crazy <laughs> to spend all that energy for five years to get to this point and then not graduate with the degree. But that's what I don't, I didn't call her bluff. <laughs> I, I don't know if that actually would have happened, but we ended up taking, I think she took 22 and I took 23 credit hours. However, it works. I'm, uh, the, the math works. If I took 23, I must have needed 21 because there's no way I was going to take uh, extra if I could avoid it. We're chemistry students. When you're a chemistry student, at least at Georgia Tech, probably everywhere, your uh, your educational life is kind of bounded by these long labs you have to take. Um, like a non-chemistry major, I think, takes three-hour labs. I think our labs were all m m largely six-hour labs. So if you have a six-hour lab on Monday afternoon from noon to six, uh, you you take no, you know, that means your Wednesday and Friday are generally off because, you know, you, you mostly you have Monday, Wednesday, Friday courses. So that giant lump in your schedule kind of drives everything else. If your lab's on Tuesday, Tuesday or Thursday, you tend to have all Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes. So that last term, trying to slot in 23 hours of credit was just, it was just awful. And so what I needed, I needed like one more poli-sci class. The only poli-sci class that fit in my schedule was a class about terrorism. <laughs> it's like the roots of terrorism or something like that. It was just... And so I took this class because I needed the poli-sci class. I did not honestly didn't care one bit about this class, but 
I needed, I cared in that I needed to get a C or better to graduate. And I didn't really want it to, I was on the cusp of graduating with honors and uh, I didn't want to, to drag my grade down too much. It's like, if I get out of this thing with a, the lowest B, I'll be fine. Everyone else in there, I think was a poli-sci major. They're into it. So like there's, you know, 15 other students and they are into it and they know the stuff and the, like, and I am just fighting for my life. So we're learning about the shining path and we're learning about the Biter Meinhof group and the IRA and all this kind of, I was like, Oh my God. And so I tried to do the best I could. I did took the tests. I wrote the papers. I did the stuff. I don't know. I'm sure the PLO was part of what we talked about. Um, but I just can remember like looking at all these so earnest I mean, and this is kind of like at the beginning of the, like much earlier than this, there was like not a communications major. They, like at Georgia Tech, you were engineering, possibly like a physics major or possibly a chemistry major. And they had started opening up to more humanities type courses. So there was now a, a communications major. And I think there was some kind of poli-sci major. I honestly don't know why you would do a poli-sci major at Georgia Tech and not go down to Emory, which seems like where you would do that, unless you couldn't get into Emory or it was too expensive, which may be the uh, issue. But anyway, that's just like this weird memory of like the very early days. I was like trying to get the hell out of here, taking so many classes, taking like I think eight classes. Somehow that worked out to 23 credit hours. So many classes. And honestly, that was the highest GPA I ever had, partly because I had zero life, like not one bit of life. Every second that wasn't in a class was dealing with class or dealing with my job because I still worked at the ice plant at that time. So uh, there was just not a lot of farting around. I wasn't going out and drinking. I wasn't seeing a lot of shows. For three months, I did nothing but get my ass in position to graduate from Georgia Tech. It was awful. And I think I had a 3.9. I never once made a 4.0. I think I had maybe a 3.9. And probably it was that goddamn poli sci class that brought me, kept me from me. I'm sure I didn't get an A on that. But uh, anyway, just reminiscence. Um, I will say recently, we had an occasion. My wife was going out to dinner with a friend. And so the kid and I were by ourselves uh, for plans. And I suggested... Why don't we go to Gaucho's, that Brazilian steakhouse down by the beach? And of course, that's generally an easy sell. So we have been there and we're going to go probably one more time because once the kid hits the birthday, the price goes way up. <laughs> we're cheaper to eat there for a couple more months. But we went there and oh, the steak. But honestly, of all the Brazilian steakhouses we've ever been to, the roasted pineapple at this one. I mentioned this to, I've talked about it before and I said, it's got the, it really doesn't have much atmosphere. It's like the least fancy. It's almost like a diner. I mean, it's not, not fancy. And yet their pineapple uh, is so good. I don't know what they do different about it, but they, for one thing, they roast it, I think in the same ovens, everything on a spit, the same way they're roasting the meat, right? So you have this big thing of pineapple uh, and then, uh, but they coat it on the outside with cinnamon or as the British call it, Sinuminium. Sinuminium. And oh, it is so good. It's just delicious. I could almost see, and it would be silly. I could almost see going there and eating like the majority of what I eat is pineapple. Just, uh, just bring me more pineapple. Just all I want is pineapple. It would be an expensive way to do it, but it's not, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. 
Another thing that's happened since the last show is that we have seen the release of this Beatles song, this Now and Then song. I don't know. I've had a little bit of impact. One of the things as I listened to that One Sweet Dream, that Beatles podcast, so they, I think they had uh, three different two-hour <laughs> two-hour episodes talking about that. The three um, posthumous, the three very posthumous uh, Beatles songs. So the the Free as a Bird, Real Love, and Now and Then. There's the whole story about it, right? The story of the John demo. The original source was too bad. Um, they tried it around the re- release of that Beatles anthology when they did Free as a Bird and Real Love. They tried it. Um, George was actually the one, the first one who, who I think he said, "This is fucking rubbish. This is fucking rubbish." Uh, and, uh, just ref- like they tried, they spent like a day in the studio. Was like, there's no, this is no hope. I'm done. I'm not going to work on this. <laughs> and so the whole story about how they've got some George guitar on the song. So like all four Beatles are present. John is singing. George has some guitar. Of course, the two surviving Beatles are the ones who did the most of it. Now subtract all that story, right? So there is all that story and it will, there will never be another one because there's no more. There's stuff. This is. They have taken the t- the wet towel of Beatles material and they have wrung the last drop. This is the last drop of the last drop, right? There's nothing more after this. So take out the sentiment of that, the story, all of that stuff. The question is, if you just come to that song, Cold, in 2023, and you set it up against every other song that's out there, is this a good song? Like, is this song, as a song any more or less compelling than any other song you're going to listen to. My initial thought, like maybe the first two or three times I thought is this is not a great song. This is a competent, but boring song. It's very much late period. Any big band, uh, like any, not big band. I'm not talking about, you know, Count Basie. I'm talking about, you know what I mean? I could not name the title of one Rolling Stone song since Steel Wheels, right? For the last 28 years or 27 years of this band, I don't know what the hell they put out. I've heard them. Uh, you know, U2 is the same way. When U2 was on Letterman and they uh, playing on top of the sign, a new song from their new album every night for five days. We watched all five of those shows every single time when it's done. Uh, by the time they had cut to commercial, I couldn't tell you the name of the song. I couldn't hum the tune. Like, as soon as the song stopped, I knew nothing about it. Like, there was not one, there was not a hook I could recall, not a lyric I could recall, nothing. And now and then, kind of, is like that. Except it's catchier than that. And so, that's kind of how I felt three, I've heard it, I don't know, I've heard it fewer than ten times. I've maybe, so I listened to it three, four times, I'm like, this is... It's an acceptable song, but there's really nothing to jump up and down about, about this song. And also the fact that there's that doc- documentary on Disney+. Plus. I listened to it one or tw- once or twice, watched the documentary. Frankly, the documentary kind of, in some ways, took the wind out of my sails. Because in, from, I guess, the, everyone involved with the Peter Jackson camp, and they tell the story of how they used, they used the program for audio cleanup that they uh, used to do the get back documentary. That's part of what they used to separate John's vocals, which was always the issue. His vocals were like embedded with this warbly piano track. They didn't want, and they couldn't get the two apart. And so you watch it and then you even find out 
So the George, they're making this big thing about how George is on this. The George is like the gu- rhythm guitar on the verses. There's nothing to that. Like you take any competent guitar player, any of a thousand studio people in Nashville, and put their guitar on there, it'd be indistinguishable. The like the George guitar solo, it's like Paul McCartney recorded that in 2022, just trying to sound like a George Harrison guitar solo. <laughs> it's like, so I don't even think the story is that goddamn compelling. And I don't think the song is that great. All that said, every bit of that said, when it's quiet, nothing's happening, and I'm just sitting here. I'm walking the dogs, and nothing's happening, or I'm just kind of looking at the wall. Now and then, if you would start again. So it is absolutely, almost literally growing on me. I do, in quiet times, just sort of hear the song in my head. So it has become a little bit of an earworm. I still don't know. If it's great, I am warming to it in the sense that I don't think that it's an overhyped nothing burger, which was kind of where I started. Now I'm at maybe it's a more competent, but not stellar, bottom middle of the pack Beatles song. (laughs) You know, it's, you know, it's somewhere down there with lies, right? Lies is a Beatles song. It's a fine Beatles song. Nobody jumps up and down about lies. <laughs> that's where I think that's about where now and then belongs. So we'll see if it keeps growing on me, if it keeps being an ear- earworm. For now, it is not <laughs> highly regarded by me. Uh, some people seem to be just falling all over themselves about this and how wonderful it is. It's like, I don't, I mean, I try to not have a lot of nostalgia. I try to not let nostalgia be the driving point for anything right the very first thing i said is subtract the nostalgia is this a good song subtract the nostalgia is this a good movie or show if if the only reason it's good is because the nostalgia is not good like that's not enough to carry anything so uh we'll return to this we'll see one of the things about getting older is, is there used to be a time 20 years ago i would walk into a room and get into the room and think I don't know why I came in this room. I don't know what I wanted. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I came in this room. Then it descended to the point where I open a browser tab and I don't know why I have this browser tab open. <laughs> like I was about to look something up and I don't know why uh, I did that. This morning, getting ready for this show, I thought I should I should maybe put that in the show notes. I could talk about that. I opened Br- Obsidian, put the cursor in Obsidian, by the time I got Obsidian open and got the cursor in it and my fingers on the keyboard, I did not remember what I was there to write down. Like, oh my God. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine it's going downhill from here. This is probably, <laughs> ain't nothing improving from here. It's like, oh my God, why am I, I mean, in generalized speaking, the, the, the general, uh, you know, the general issue is just, why am I? I'm about to do a thing. I don't remember why I'm doing this thing. <laughs> why am I in this room? Why am I on this tab? Why did I open? Why did I pick up my phone? Why did I pick up and unlock my phone? I don't remember what I wanted to do. Yes, it was four seconds ago. <laughs> I don't remember what that is. <laughs> Yikes. So I broke the news to y'all previous show that uh, I shall be retiring uh, at the end of this month. I mean, I say the end of this month. It's really the first day of the next month. There are reasons why one might want to work one day into December. 
at this point, everybody has been notified. It's been a pretty public thing. So I was like, I'm going to go on LinkedIn and make a post. I'm not, I'm notably not doing it really on anywhere else much. Um, I'm not going to make any post on Facebook. It seems like LinkedIn is the place for that, right? That's where my, that's where my career contacts are. And this is a career thing. So I went in and I wrote up a little post and I, you know, thanked the people from all the jobs of the last 20 years for hiring me. And, you know, I linked to them. I'm obviously connected to all of them. Told a couple anecdotes from my career and, you know, why I'm retiring and what I'm going to do and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, I don't, by and large, um, LinkedIn has generally been a write-only database for me. I believe that the very first person to invite me to LinkedIn was Keith McGregor. Like, in 2005? I mean, I lived here, I think. Maybe in 2006. About now, there's something like approaching 20 years. 17, 16, 17 years. Practically nothing of value has ever happened for me. I build up the, the network. I accept requests. I had, you know, one of the whole things is I, this is not treating it like Facebook, right? On Facebook, my policy is I have to have met you in person before I will accept or send a Facebook friend request. It's not for creating new friends. This is for real world people that I know. On LinkedIn, I kind of took the opposite tack. Like any single person who had any ServiceNow, anything, if they worked on the ServiceNow platform, I just accepted their request. That's it. I don't necessarily accept every random request, but anyone who works on ServiceNow, I do that. Like, you know, if they're in the company or, and I don't know them, or if they, uh, you know, are a customer and work on the platform, I accept every one of those. So now at this point, I have a network full of people, some of whom I know. There are customers that I remember. I know where I met them. I met them in, you know, a workshop or something. There are a lot of people that I don't have any actual direct connection to, other than I just accepted the re request when they sent it and I have no idea who they are. So I make this retirement post. And there have been times, like back when we used to do live coding happy hour, you know, we, there were things we would put out there hoping for a response, hoping for traction, trying to, you know, get people to do a thing, a call to action. And I'd get whatever traction I got. I've never gotten as much traction as saying, I'm going to stop working. <laughs> That's the thing that's got the most, which is kind of ironic because all the projects that I try to say, this project's happening, come see this thing that I'm actually literally doing. Uh, that, you know, that gets what it gets. And then say, I'm doing nothing ever again. At this point, I've got over 20,000 views. I've got, you know, approaching 100 comments, like over 300, you know, like likes or claps or whatever LinkedIn thing is. Like, I have tried to get that sort of traction in the past. It's never happened. It is, uh, it is uh, kind of maddening. Let me take one pause right there. We're going to roll thematically, but I need, I'm beginning to cough. Uh, I need a little sip of this. Oh, this is a fresh, this is a today era Americana. Oh yeah. It's not even in the electronic coffee cup and it's still warm. That's how fresh it is. Mm. Can life possibly this be this good? Uh, pulling back, the opening the kimono, pulling back the curtain, however you want to phrase it. Um, I'm recording this show in my lower office. I have kind of a split level thing with a, I call it the upstairs and the downstairs, or you can call it like my office foyer. And my office foyer is where I have the fake fireplace, my futon, the TV and the PlayStation sits up there. So 
Uh, it's, you know, kind of an extension of the office. It's uh, an outer thing. I will talk about this more in the next show, but uh, we have a recently purchased a PlayStation 5. So right now, as I'm doing this show, there is a child playing the Spider-Man 2 game on the PS5. Probably you can't hear it. Uh, it's all been filtered out, but it's happening. I can see it out of the corner of my eye. Every so often I see, you know, Mr. Negative or <laughs> Spider-Man swinging or something. So what this means is the child's going to hear the next thing that I say, which I did not intend for my kid to know this or anyone in this house to know this. So uh, uh, I'm telling on myself. I have mentioned that we went from zero to full Taskmaster, or at least I went from zero to full task Taskmaster. I'd never heard of the fucking show. And then in fairly short succession, somebody did an episode of the Dork Forest on it where that was their nerddom, was Taskmaster nerddom. And then like within hours, I heard a different podcast with people talk about this and we checked it out and we loved the show. We thought it was hilarious. So we started watching season 16 and then because it's still coming out, we watched up everything from season 16 and then we went back and we're watching season 15 and interleaving them. And we also have on our Plex season one. And yet the kid is the worst culprit is vetoing the one. This is a whole family show. Like this is, I've talked about the, my show, my wife's shows, our joint shows. Well, this is a whole family show. What this means is if there's anybody that doesn't want to watch it, you don't watch it because it's one we all watch together. But I want to watch it more than anyone else. So I have decided, I think I'm going to do this. And this is the thing the kid doesn't know and is about to find out is that because I'm so much more enthused than everybody else, I believe I'm going to go back to season one and just start watching all this stuff. And as soon as I watch it, I'm going to mark it unplayed in the Plex. And I'm just going to, and then when they want to watch them, they can, and I'll rewatch everything because I'm so into the show, but I cannot, I just don't feel like uh, holding back anymore. All I want to do is just watch Taskmaster all day, every day. That's all I want to do. And then also uh, after I watch the episode, I listen to the Taskmaster podcast. So I have a whole thing. This is one of those homework style shows in my backlog. The video archives podcast that Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery do is another one of these where I don't watch that. You know, they talk about movies. So I watch the movies and then uh, I listen to the podcast, but it takes me so long to watch the movies that I listen to a podcast episode like every three months. This, I would imagine in retirement, this will go up. But the same with the Taskmaster is, you know, I have 140 shows in the backlog. I'm not listening to any of them because I have to watch the show first. So uh, I'm just going to go rogue and do my own thing. And anybody else can watch anything whenever they want. But I'm going to have already watched them. And I'm just going to quietly uh, sit there and rewatch it and say, mm, oh, great. Mm. Uh, I will tell this would be a great time. Uh, child who's listening, don't accept any bets from me on the outcome of any shows. <laughs> because that's probably going to be a sucker's bet. <laughs> but while I'm talking about uh, you know that stuff, and I mentioned this in my retirement post on LinkedIn about all the stuff I have to do. Thousands of books, thousands of comics, thousands of movies and TV shows. I absolutely, I ran into this literally this morning where I had a window of time. I'm the only one up and I'm sitting in front of the TV with the TV on looking at Plex and the act of trying to decide what to watch uh, was so <laughs> I ended up watching nothing because I couldn't decide what to watch because I had so much to watch and I couldn't, you know, it was like paralysis of choice. And I was like, Oh, do I watch a letter? Kenny, 
Do I watch? Uh, we started watching this Lincoln Lawyer show because uh, we watched all of Bosch Legacy. So it's kind of adjacent. It's kind of in the Michael Connolly universe. And apparently there are Mickey Holler, Harry Bosch crossovers later in, you know, later in, not in the TV show, but in the novels. So it's like, I could watch one of those. I actually am enjoying that. And it's one of these ones where it's kind of a together show, but I also like it more than my wife. So she doesn't care if I go ahead, um, which is kind of how I felt about the crown. I would watch it if I was in the room, but I also did not care. It's like, you know, I, Saw all this stuff. I I watched Princess Diana get killed. Not there, but I watched the aftermath and all the news reports and all this stuff. You know, and it's not of great interest to me. And honestly, I don't, as much as I like Dominic West and I loved him in The Wire and, you know, uh, boy, I don't like him as uh, Prince Charles. It it just leaves me pretty cold. So uh, all that kind of stuff is uh, like, I could not give really a shit about the crown. Unlike, say, the circle or love is blind or these awful reality shows. Uh, I don't, I won't flee the room, but I also don't care. But uh, so there's so much stuff to read, to do. I have got to build myself some kind of heuristic because I can't just, I think it's ridiculous to just spend all my time curating the stuff and never actually experiencing the stuff. Like, why do I have it if I'm not going to actually experience it? So I need to figure myself out whether it's randomized. I mean, it could actually just be a coin flip. Like, you know, a long time ago, back when we used to get um, mail order comics from Westfield Comics and, you know, when we lived in Kansas in the 80s, I would get my comic books. Here's And I had kind of the same problem. I have now a stack of comic books, which could be, because it was a month of comics, it could be as many as like 30 issues. And... It's like, how, what am I going to read first? So what I would do is I would kind of put them in a priority order. Like, this is the one I'm most excited about, and I'm kind of go through. And, you know, even at the very bottom, it's the one I'm least excited about, but it's the one I cared enough to purchase with my hard-earned uh, money. So I don't not care about it. It's just at the bottom of the list. And then what I do is I roll a die. I don't remember. It was pro- I believe I rolled a 10-sided die. It might have even been a 20-sided die. I may have rolled a 20-sided die until it got less than 20, and then I rolled 10. I don't know what I But I, it was a dice-based thing. If I rolled a 1, I would read the 1 on the top of the stack. And you know, if I rolled a 10, I'd read the 10th one. So it was roughly um, in, like, the that priority order affected it. So, like, I'm not going to read the bottom of the stack first because, like, the die doesn't even... It's not even in the range for the dice roll. But it's affected by that. I was... I doubt it was picked up by the microphone, but the kid just uh, pointed out to me that this is the only time a natural one is ever a good dice roll, which I guess as a gamer, that's a, a D&D player. That's uh, probably true. Um, so, but I had a, I had a basic plan. Um, you know, with my podcast backlog, I have a basic plan, right? I, I when I get to the bottom, when it's time for things from the backlog, I t- listen to one show from the oldest one show from the one with the least and one one episode from the lo- l- least from the last listened to like the the least recent listen right <laughs> if this makes sense so i grab them like in groups of 3 the oldest uh, the oldest the fewest and the oldest since listening and uh then if i have time for more i will listen to the second oldest the second fewest you know and then the new the newly oldest show because the other one has just been updated and that works just fine. And, and 
I don't have to think hard about which show from this backlog is the one that I want to listen to now. I've got to figure out something like that. Whether it's like write down my active listening show, whether it's pick a show, just binge or just watch it. I mean, I have all kinds of shows. I have Car 54, Where Are You? <laughs> I have, you know, every uh, episode of that. I have every Columbo and Rockford file, like, and every Letterkenny. And I'm on season seven. And there's, I think, there's going to be more letter kennies on Christmas. So there's like six seasons I haven't watched and there's more coming down soon. So do I watch all the letter kennies? They're short. They're like 20 minutes a piece. Probably if, you know, I could pick one show and just watch it till it's gone. I could pitch a set of shows and watch a random episode from a, one of those shows whenever it happens. And these are all the my, me alone shows. No one in this house. In fact, everyone will run away if I try to watch Danger Man or Columbo or The Rockford Files. Like, everybody else hates this shit. Or Barney Miller. Um, but I'm into it. So, uh, I believe my days, uh, once retirement happens, my days will have a little more uh, 70s TV. I have every episode of The Magician with Bill Bixby. Uh, I want to watch some of those. I remember that as a good, good show. Of course, I was, I think, six or seven years old. So... A lot of shows I remember as good shows. Uh, when I go back and watch, I think, "Oh my lord, this is unwatchable." So we'll see if that's a good show. You know, this is pre-Hulk. I've also got the. I don't have the whole thing, and I have no interest in the whole thing. But those Hulk movies after the show ends, like the one where Rex Smith was Daredevil, and they had the weird Thor guy. I have all. I want to watch those. Only those, like the Trial of the Incredible Hulk and what the Death of the Incredible Hulk. Uh, I'm not watching five seasons of the shit, but I will watch those just for the ridiculousness of seeing these weird depictions. I have the bad Doctor Strange movie and the bad Captain America movies. You know, the the, the weird shit we had. And, and, and we ate that up in the 70s. We we're so happy to get these awful movies. I watch I watched that Doctor Strange movie first run on TV and I was could not uh, be happier. I watched the stupid Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, and I could not be happier. You know, so, huh, so I have bad TV, and I have to, you know, figure it out. I maybe I'll take, maybe I'll use the dice. I can borrow. We have ten sided die in this house. Um, maybe I can uh, pick ten shows and then randomize amongst them. That that's doable. But I've got to figure out a way to not just um, to not just s- spin. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. It's just like a spinning uh, cursor. It's like, oh, what to watch. I literally spent so long thinking about what to watch. I could have watched something in the time. I could have watched a half hour show. I could have watched one episode of Twisted Metal, which is not great, but it's watchable. You know, like there's just all this shit. I could have done literally anything and I did I did nothing. All right. Let me get to what is probably, um, probably the last um, topic of this show. And this is a thing that has bugged me. I'm going to give you an example that is almost 20 years old. That's bugged me. And I, I honestly don't remember what um, jumped out in my, in my head. I think it was, I was happened to be on Mastodon. I made it just a reference to the LinkedIn post retirement post, you know, thereby kind of tangentially telling Mastodon that I was retiring for the few people who care over there. And I saw somebody, Posting about something. And, you know, honestly, um, let's be honest, my excitement with Mastodon has waned mostly because of just the group. It is my fault for who I follow. Uh, you know, I, I could fix this by unfollowing everyone that brings me down. Uh, but it's just so much complaining about something. <laughs> that seems to be the culture on 
uh, Mastodon, telling you how you're doing it wrong, telling me what's bad in the world, and telling me, you know, and I saw somebody rejecting some kind of solution. Um, and the, the reason for rejecting the solution was that the tech wasn't sexy enough, basically. That's not how they were framing it, but that's ultimately what it meant, is uh, they didn't think it was an interesting enough solution to care about. And boy, does that kind of thing always irritate me. Like back when I worked at SecureWorks, um, we had we had butted heads multiple times because one of the, the like the system that they had was written in ANSI C. Like it was a Linux executables written in C. It is the least sexy thing. Not even C++, C. And it's the, just the least sexy thing you can do. Part of why I took the job, because I wasn't that, I mean, I had done almost all, all Java programming up to that point, which seemed kind of sexy to me. But I was saying to myself, I'm a grown-up engineer. Am I scared of programming in C? I've never really done I was supposed to do it at when I worked at Intel, and I managed to uh, avoid doing I, w- theoretically. I was hired to do work on this Java GUI that would be a, this unified GUI. That, by the way, my friend Shannon, who is a frequent contributor or frequent corresponder to the show, uh, sent me the video of like the retirement for the thing we worked on, which was the very first thing I ever worked on out of grad school. Um, and uh, part of my job was to like maintain these um, basically like device drivery type programs that uh, you know connected the machines to the system bus. I never actually shipped one of those. I worked there for one year. I never shipped one of those. I I only cared about the thing. And even though my responsibilities include, and we were like, had to update these things for Y2K and all this stuff. And it was a thing that had to happen. It was not immediate, but it was, you know, on the horizon. We had this test suite to make sure that they uh, were Y2K compliant. I never did any of those because I didn't care and I just avoided it. And there was one thing. And then when it came down, there was one that had to be shipped. Uh, there was some reason what, why it needed updating. And I didn't even know what to do. And I actually got one of the other engineers sat down with me and we kind of pair programmed. I mean, by pair programming, meaning I mostly looked over his shoulder while he did all the work and then we pushed it. And then I never touched another of those things again. So I, I guess the statute of limitations has run out on this job I had 28 years ago, but uh, <laughs> that I didn't actually do that job. <laughs> I did part of the job, but there were responsibilities I 100% shirked. So, and those were NCC. And so later on, when I took this job, I was like, you know, I kind of was scared of the NCC back then. And I don't want to. I mean, I'm a professional. I don't want to be scared of parts of my job. So I kind of took the job and I worked there for like six or seven years. And one of the, and we merged with two different companies over my tenure there. And it was always a thing. It's like, why are you writing it this way? Why don't you do something more sexy? Um, And by the way, this was a healthy business. Um, When we merged with an Atlanta company and everything about the Atlanta company was more sexy other than the fact that um, we had exactly the same revenue. Um, they had VC debt. They had, I think, 120 employees, and we had like 42. And, and we made the same amount of money, except ours was mostly profit because we didn't have all this other stuff to do. We had money in the bank and no debt, and uh, we were making like $300,000 of revenue per person, per employee, <laughs> and they were making like $100,000 of revenue per employee. Um and then, but then we had all these arguments about why are you using this unsexy tech? And they said, they said one of the things 
that we don't do is spend all our time writing and rewriting our core system. Yes, it's not that sexy, but it works and we just keep moving the ball down the field instead of rewriting and refactoring the goddamn thing. And then we got another company and this is this company is part of why I wanted had to go is because this company is like this company absolutely was not sexy enough for them. <clears throat> and somehow, even though we acquired this company, like all it was like it was kind of like the mouse that ate the tiger <laughs> because by the time everything shook out like this company we acquired is in all the leadership positions and making all the decisions but um i was on a call one time where they were saying why are we using uh these application servers why don't we write our own application server <laughs> i was like fuck me i've got to leave this company because that was the mindset which is Oh, sure. There's this, you know, open source uh, project that's had, you know, thousands of contributors and lots of eyes on it. But whatever we dash out is going to be better than that, because that's how we that's us. We're so much better than everybody and everything that we can write our own application server and it will be better than this highly used uh, Apache project. I'm like, oh, Jesus. <sighs> so uh, I have long since uh, been weary of people who want the novel because it's novel. I don't care if the thing is novel or not novel, if it's meeting the needs, that job really kind of drove that home for me. And boy, I wish I could remember what prompted this, <laughs> but I will say that when I did Amigo fish way back in the beginning of podcasting people, there were people who were giving me shit who didn't like Amigo fish and the thing they didn't like about it. It was, it was like a collaborative filter. It was your standard, like as people were like seeing if I could patent it or, you know, license it or whatever. I was like, if you look up collaborative filter and take the top Google hit and see what that is about, that's what I did. It was like the simplest, there was zero novel about what I was doing in the collaborative filtering. It was like standard, uh, you know, it's, it's like the same math as a least squared fit, right? It's just, there's nothing. It's like the simplest possible way you can take two people's opinions on something and say, who has the same kind of opinion as me, right? That's all it was. But there were people who were giving me shit, not because the predictions were bad or not because anything about that was bad. They were, they didn't like the fact that I just used the same stars as Netflix. <laughs> they didn't like that my star rating was not, I didn't build a custom star controller for the, except the ratings, <laughs> Which, by the way, Doug K gave me uh, his code. He just gave me his code. Like all the JavaScript, he's like, just put the handler you want to call right here and it'll do whatever you say. So Doug K of IT Conversations kindly just gave me the same shit from the IT. He just gave me a copy and pasted his own code and gave it to me. I think the images that he used, some or in part were taken from Netflix. So people hated my site because I didn't have a sufficiently sexy star controller with no statement about what the thing did. And that, that my friends, I'm never going to have that opinion. Like I'm never going to have an opinion about the pieces. It's like, it's like, I'm not going to care whether you use brass screws or steel screws. <laughs> if the thing works and it's meeting my needs, it's meeting my needs. I don't, it's just ridiculous to me that you would base your opinion on like on the components. Not, I don't know. It's, it's just the sort of the mindset. And it just kind of amazes me that 
almost almost 20 years after at that point i'm still seeing that same kind of stuff and it's just so different uh just so different from how i think about literally anything and now it's time for something we call the reading of the patrons the following people went to bit.ly bit.ly slash egc patreon and they pledged to support to keep the shambling mess shambling thank you to the following people Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, R. Hooley, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoco, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Paul Reynolds, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Melissa A. Bartell, Andrew Howe, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Brian Springer, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard, Steve Holden, Brian Hogan, and Matt Beckwith. Thank you, one and all, for supporting The Shambling Mess. And now, let us kill the music. All right, pals. As always, since I've gone to the pre-recorded reading of the patrons, which, by the way, people were for years telling me, why are you doing a live read every single time? Why don't you record it? Only when the patrons change do I record it now. But it's so weird sitting here listening to myself say that. It is an odd experience. All right. For you Americans, uh, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And off we go into the holidays. For you non-Americans, you know, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> being not american <laughs> that's all i have to say on that Ooh, sometimes by the way that wasn't planned that's just the id talking that's just that's just the awful the awfulness of my soul sometimes just comes directly out uh thank you for listening show notes as always will be up at evilgeniuschronicles.org sorry i gave myself i gave myself a kick on that one i'm still laughing y'all know it's not true right Show notes will be up at evilgeniuschronicles.org, where you can find uh, links to anything I can find linkable, because I like to have lots of links up there. You can reach out to me, Dave, at evilgeniuschronicles.org. You can find me on Mastodon. Uh, easy enough to find. Just search on me and Mastodon. But search on my name. It seems almost unmissable. Thank you for listening. I will catch you again next time. And do not forget, as you go out into your holiday and post-holiday world, that I love you. Goodbye.